What's up, guys? How's it going? Um, good. Uh, who are all these people in our house? This is Jerry, Tom, and Harry. Say hello, boys. Hello. <laughs> Why do you sound, um, ridiculous? What'd you say about the boss? Uh, um, no, nothing. Tom, Tom, it's okay. Me and the boys were just having a meeting. Hold on. <laughs> Bad accents, Tommy guns, and smooth jazz. Are you being El Capone? What's it to ya? Uh, well, he may seem cool, but do you even know what happened? Uh... St. Valentine's Massacre, Philadelphia Eastern State Penitentiary. Mm, not really. Never really nah, thought nah, about no. it. No? Okay, I, I gotta tell you. This is a breaking news alert. We learned who the suspect is. This just in. A homicide. Police now say they have a suspect in the case. Reporting lies in the murder. Got some breaking news. <laughs> My flatmate's a murderer. <laughs> Welcome to My Flatmate's a Murderer. A horror comedy podcast where we get up close and personal with some of the most gruesome, strange and infamous murder cases throughout history. My name's Alana Mir. This week, Al Capone, the infamous American gangster who ran Chicago. Let's get into it. Al Capone. A lot more than the lead character in one of the best films of all time. Capone, also known as Scarface, became one of the most infamous gangsters who ran a multi-million dollar operation of bootlegging, prostitution and gambling in the Prohibition era. Badass, if you ask me. He owned Chicago, dominating the organised crime scene and was responsible for many acts of brutal violence, the St. Valentine's Massacre to name one. Of all the things, he was caught for tax evasion in 1931. He was immortalised by the public imagination and the image of the gunslinging, cigar-smoking New York Italian that we all picture today. Alphonse Capone was born in January 17, 1899, to two Italian immigrants, Gabriella and Teresina, who moved to America to seek a better life. Capone was one of nine children, his father a barber and his mother a seamstress. He lived a typical migrant lifestyle, nothing to indicate he would reach the level of infamy that he did later in life. Such to say everything was stacked against him, the wily coyote of New York. Capone started as a good student, but then fell behind in elementary school. He fought back when his principal tried to discipline him, so he never returned to formal education. He ended up joining Johnny Torrio's James Street Boys, starting off his journey into the gang culture. In 1917, Capone, after making an indecent comment to a woman at a bar, her brother left him with the three iconic scars and therefore the means to call him Scarface. Al Capone was to be married at the age of 19 and tried to set up his life for his wife and his newly arrived son. So when Johnny Torrio asked him to come to Chicago, Capone jumped at the chance. Torrio ran a gambling and prostitution business, but with the Prohibition era beginning to ban the sale and consumption of alcohol, they began bootlegging. 
Let's just say they were rolling in it. Capone was promoted to partner due to his aptitude with numbers and street smarts, but he began to get a bit too big for his boots and build up a negative rep as a drinker and a troublemaker. Together, Torrio and Capone ruled Chicago, and Capone moved from a smuggler to a drink driver to a murderer, beginning to kill for retribution and take out their competition. He gained a foe, William McSwiggin, a prosecutor determined to see Capone locked up. Torrio retired to Italy, turning over all control to Capone. He left Capone with the parting wisdom to maintain a low profile. But Scarface did the exact opposite. Moving his operations into the Metropole Hotel, Capone began to live lavishly, estimated to be raking in 100 mil annually in 1927. Talk about loaded. He managed to gain a public image of being generous as the anti-prohibition resentment grew, he gained public sympathy. However, his name became associated with violence throughout time, making his popularity decrease over time. Capone expanded his territories, gunning down rivals and rival gangs. Upon ordering two of his sworn enemies to be taken out, Capone also got McSwiggin killed as he was with the two marked men. Poor McSwiggin. The public was furious, calling out for justice and sick of their city being gang-dominated. The police raided Capone's businesses for proof of the murders but were unable to find anything. Capone tried to establish peace between the gangs, but this only lasted two months. The 14th of February 1929 would seal Capone's fate. Now known as the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, disguised as policemen, members of Capone's gang entered 2122 North Clark Street, the home of Bugs Moran, one of Capone's longtime rivals. They lined up all his men across one wall before drawing machine guns and shooting them all in cold blood. Seven men murdered, but Bugs himself would escape the slaughter. The massacre dramatised the illegal liquor traffic movement and Capone was instantly held responsible by public opinion and the media. Being dubbed public enemy number one, Capone would not last at large much longer. The police got Capone on possession of a concealed firearm in 1929, but only for a measly 10 months in Philadelphia Eastern State Penitentiary. The government changed their tactics and President Hoover was now after Capone for income tax evasion. In 1931, they got him. The Supreme Court ruled that Capone's illegal activities were taxable and was indicted for 22 counts of income tax evasion. Al Capone was found guilty and sentenced to 11 years in prison and 80,000 in fines and court costs. Capone would be transferred to Alcatraz in 1934, losing his influence to the outside world. He would deteriorate in physical and mental health, transferring to a mental hospital in Baltimore as a shell of the former man he once was. Capone lived out his days with his wife in Miami, dying at age 48 in 1947. Capone's image as both a hero to the common man and a ruthless gangster would live on long after his death and become a quintessential part of American history.
loved and hated by the public and the media, kind of like a Robin Hood who occasionally blasted holes in people. Sounds like a lot of work. What? I just want something more simple, you know? Just, like, you get in there, you kill the person, and you go. And anyway, fedoras aren't really my thing. Well, you could do something else. Like, I don't know, um, poison people? Hey, now that's an idea. I didn't... I di- <sighs> oh, no. Thanks for listening to My Flatmate's a Murderer, Episode 3, Al Capone. Follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr following the handle at Podcast. You can also find this podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Spreaker. Tune in next week for a cult episode of My Flatmates, A Murderer. Catch you next week. (laughs) 